This book is titled River Friendly, River Wild by Jane Kurtz. Author's Note On April 17, 1997, my birthday, air raid sirens sounded to let people know that Lincoln Drive, where we had lived for about eight years, was in danger from the rising Red River. Our house was on high ground, but to be safe, we packed overnight bags and moved to the house of some friends. On April 19th at 2.30 a.m., a knock on the door let us know we had to evacuate from that house. As the river continued to flow over the dikes, one neighborhood after another was evacuated until almost every house in Grand Forks, North Dakota, was empty. I wrote many of these poems in the weeks just after the flood, while living in a borrowed house in a small town of Walhalla. We moved from there to a FEMA, Federal Emergency Management Agency, travel trailer, and then to a FEMA mobile home. Much of the writing in these pages is drawn from our family's real experience, but there are also bits and pieces of other people's stories woven in. I offer the book in salute to all of us who struggled through the 1997 flood and years of recovery, to the volunteers from the Red Cross, Salvation Army, and various churches who helped clean up Grand Forks, and to anyone who has done the amazing job of picking up life after a flood, tornado, hurricane, fire, or other natural disaster. The Red River the river wiggled like a fat brown thread along the flat quilt of the Red River Valley, stitching North Dakota and Minnesota together. My friend Sarah and I ran races up and down the dike. In the winter, we walked across the river to touch Minnesota. In spring, we sat on her back porch and watched the river ripple. Sometimes, full of spring rain, it crawled up her yard, leaving chunks of trees that we made into pirate ships. My brother Max fished on the river's banks. Sometimes he let me carry his fishing pole, and I sat beside him, loving the wet, muddy smell of the summer river. One time, Max caught the biggest fish any of us ever saw. I ran and got the scale. We weighed it, and Max kissed it, and then he threw it back. That was us. That was the river. The Blizzard, April 4. Spring creeps into the city, one toe at a time. Days are warm as the boots that snuggled my feet all winter. Nights are cold. That's good, Mr. Ford from across the street says. Good because the ice won't melt too fast and swell the river even more. Snow piles that once were over my head shrink until they're short as my waist. Then the blizzard hits. Ice slicks tree branches and drips from telephone wires. Electric poles fall down. Power fizzles. My dad makes a fire in the wood stove downstairs and cooks hamburgers on top. Max and I wiggle around in our sleeping bags and play Monopoly. Our cat, Kiwi, knocks the houses off with her paws. We hardly miss the television at all. As the snow starts falling, we drift asleep, deep in our bags, close to the warm black stove. Sandbagging, April 12th. 
Snow's melting, rivers rising, water's coming from the south, like a pickup truck in overdrive. Everybody's bagging sand, piling the bags on top of the dikes. One lift, two swing, three catch, four toss. The water creeps into Sarah's yard. The water creeps up to Sarah's back porch. A truck rumbles by with sandbags for Sarah. One lift, two swing, three catch, four toss. A truck rumbles up to dump sand for Sarah. Scrape, scritch, shovel the sand. Swish, thump, drop it in the bag. Wrist, twist till the bag's closed. Mom turns the wire to shut the bag's mouth. One lift, two swing, three catch, four toss. One lift, two swing, three catch, four toss. River Wild Melting snow has made the river wild. Day after day it pushes the dikes, where people walk two by two, looking for cracks that could sprout and let the river trickle through. Don't worry, Dad says. We're on high ground for Lincoln Drive. I don't think the water could possibly get up here. But I go off to school worrying anyway. By noon, the classrooms buzz with stories of cracks. Don't worry, Mom says when I come home for lunch. Engineers are working on the dike. I walk back to school, watching our neighbor's sandbag relentlessly. I'm at the swings when the air raid sirens rise and fall and swell the air. Parents pop up from everywhere. Sarah and I hold hands and stare at each other. Call me, she says as her mom runs up. I call all afternoon, but she never answers. Just in case. At supper, everyone is as quiet as unturned pages in a book. Let's pack one bag, Mom says finally. Just one bag, just in case. Can I pack the cat, I ask? If we do leave, Dad says, it will only be for a couple days. She'll be much happier at home. I pack four books, three shirts, two pairs of jeans. Then I lie in bed while my heart pumps like a rowing machine. Dad tucks me in. Promise me one thing, okay, I say. Put out lots and lots and lots and lots of food and water for Kiwi, just in case. Fleeing just after midnight, April 18. Most things you lie awake and worry about don't happen. This one does. Sirens, woo, woo, wake us up. Woo, woo, everybody out. I cry over Kiwi. Max kisses Kiwi. We grab our bags. Rush, rush, everybody out. I blow kisses to Kiwi. Max cries over Kiwi. We rush, hush, through the midnight streets, out of the silent city, away from the river, away from our home. The Night the Buildings Burn, April 19. The shelter cots are hard and squeaky when people turn at night. I can stretch and touch Mom and Dad and Max but I miss that motor stomach kiwi cat. Suddenly, everyone's up and staring. Look at the television, someone says. Black, thick smudge of smoke. What's happening? What's wrong? 
How can things burn when they're sitting in water? Fire tongues lick the sky. Is the world burning up? Will the buildings all catch fire? Will the downtown all catch fire? Will the homes all catch fire? I don't know, Dad says. I don't think so, Mom says. The sky turns red. The sky turns black. I'm scared. I'm scared. I'm too scared to go to sleep. On TV, the walls fall down again and again and again and again. Ocean of Feelings Two weeks of waiting to find out if we have anything left. My parents don't know what to do. They wander around like balls of string, winding and unwinding. My mom makes lists of everything she might have lost. I wonder where Sarah is and if Kiwi is scared in our island house with a rush of water all around. On TV, we watch our city where people navigate the river streets in any way they can. They wade, they rumble in Humvees, they ripple through the streets in boats ducking under power lines. That used to be Lincoln Drive, a reporter says. Now it's Lincoln Lake. Look, Max points, it's Sarah's house. All I see is a roof. I go out and sit on the porch. Mom comes out with a squeezy hug. Want to try on the nice dress Grandma sent? It's not my dress. Want to go find the library? I'm never reading a book again because I can't have my own books. We do have a nice house to stay in, she says. Wasn't it nice we could borrow this house? It was nice, but I want to go home. Mom and I cry with our arms around each other. Come on, I finally tell her. I'll help you find the library. Going back, May 3rd. All winter, cars leaped from behind giant snowbanks, making brake slam, making hearts thud. When they finally let us back in the city, the snow is gone. But the snowbanks of garbage and sandbags line every street, making brakes slam, making hearts hollow. Mattresses, lamps, rocking horses and sleds, furnaces, water heaters, doors and doors. Every pile is someone's story. Every story is sad. Danger. The newspaper says, beware the river water, it's contaminated with chemicals. And be careful going back into your house. The steps could be crumbled. The floors could be buckled. The stairs could be slick. The windows could be broken. And snakes could be inside. We creep up the steps through the door. Kiwi, I call. No answer. Kitty, kitty, I call. No cat. I rumble around the two upstairs bedrooms like a car that's lost its steering. I creep down the slimy stairs. My dad lifts a box and turns it over. Water and paper dolls gush out. The paper dolls saw it all. I wish they could tell me what happened to my cat. Camping in the house. 
No cooking, no warm water, no heat. We flip the switches by habit. No lights go on. At night, silence settles. Pumps stop humming outside. We go to bed early as the sun drops down. My toes wince on the icy floor, and I wish for the wood-burning stove. But it's downstairs with curls of mud and orange rust. We wiggle deep in our bags around the glow of an oil lamp. I can't believe it's even our house. Cleanup, May 5th. My feet shiver in the big gray boots. My hands shiver in the yellow rubber gloves. I can see my breath in what used to be my closet. I don't love the smell of the river water anymore. In the dark downstairs, I stumble on a lump. Don't step on the carpet with your muddy boots, Mom hollers. She and I both giggle. The carpet feels like an elephant as we work to drag it out. Max stands by a puddle in his room. Eek, he shrieks. We all jump. False alarm, he says. Fake snake. The Red Cross truck beep beeps by with a lunch. Thank you, my dad says. You're welcome, the Red Cross person says. You'd do the same for us. People I never met made this lunch for me. People I never met sent a plane load full of stuff. Kids I never met made pictures of my school. Someday, I'll do the same for someone else. And when I see Sarah again, I'm giving her the money Grandma sent for new dolls. Some of my dolls were safe upstairs, but Sarah's dolls must all be gone. The Christmas Box Red and silver garland spills onto the ground. Wet, red paint from ornaments I made last year streaks the cardboard box. We reach inside with yellow gloves and cradle handfuls out. The stockings Aunt Emily cut and sewed the year I was born. The bird that sat in our Christmas tree to bring us New Year's luck. The wreath Max made with five-year-old handprints and lots of bright green paint. It's hard to throw out memories, Mom says. Her eyes were fat with tears. Blue mold speckles in a wooden box that my great-grandpa carved. Everything falls in the black plastic bag that will go to the curb with everything else. Look, Mom says, three glass angels. I can clean these. They're survivors of the flood, like us. The most terrible part. Down beside the dike, it's terrible. A van went through a person's wall. A hockey net hangs from a tree. A house that floated landed later in someone else's yard. I walk home slowly in the rain, looking up at Lincoln School. The windows look back like empty eyes. Two blocks away, a square machine with a wide, wide mouth scooches crab-like down the street to pick up freezers and stoves. A block away, a big machine with a long neck lumbers and swings, nudges a pile of garbage into the street and picks it up in its teeth. The machines have names like Komatsu and Case, Cat and Deer. They call to each other in high yellow beeps.
Sarah's mom is outside their house, wearing a garbage bag over her clothes, wearing a white mask over her face. Where's Sarah, I ask. At her grandma's, she says, I'll tell her to call you. She misses me. She misses you. She wants to come home. But this isn't home, is it? Mad. I'm mad at the flood because my cat is gone and because Sarah's living at her grandma's now. I'm mad at this doll because she was upstairs, so she's fine, and my favorite doll wasn't, so she isn't. I'm mad at these books because they used to look like books, and now they're gooshy, soggy, slimy lumps that no one will ever want to read. I'm mad at all the piles of garbage clogging up the sidewalks. I wish the machine with the mouth would get to our block and gobble all this garbage up. I'm mad at my mom because she makes me eat the Red Cross hot meal before I eat the Red Cross snacks. We're lucky to have something hot to eat, she says. I know she's right, but I don't feel lucky. The New Dyke The city's cleaning up. Kids wearing orange streamers on their arms pick plastic bags like flowers from the bushes where the river left them. A row of stuffed animals sits on a couch on the curb, waiting to be picked up. People are planting flowers, but in our neighborhood, they say a new dyke will barrel through the middle, sweeping away my house, sweeping away Sarah's house, sweeping the school and other homes away. Mr. Ford sits by the curb on his couch and talks to everyone who walks by. He's lived here all his life. Now he's ready to move. He shows me a table he got from his mom. It's been through four floods, he says. This one finally got it. Mom and Dad rest, as dirty as smudge pots. We'll be telling stories of this flood for a long, long time, Dad says. A squirrel runs by the ash tree that Max planted in fourth grade. It's popping with buds. The flood didn't get the tree, but the new dike will. One Terrific Neighborhood, May 20th. This was a great neighborhood, Dad says. Old-fashioned, Mom says. You could borrow a cup of sugar from anyone. Our next-door neighbor always brought in our mail when we were gone, Max says. And fed kiwi, I say. We sit trying to look at Mr. Ford's tulips instead of the garbage piles. The lawn is strewn with violets and Mom's drying papers. And then, on careful feet, around each paper steps a kiwi cat. I scream and run to pick her up. Her tail tickles my neck. Our next-door neighbor hurries over. Just got back to town, he says. The day after we all left, I came in with my waiters to check on the pump. Saw your cat looking out the window. Well, we still had your key. Where are you staying, Dad asks. Heading out, he says. The store is gone. Time to start over someplace else. Kiwi rumbles on my lap. You know, Dad says, this was one terrific neighborhood. Memories the river is back in its banks again, and here we are, alive. I know now that some memories live in things, 
in old clothes and photographs, drawings and trees. Some of those memories we'll have to let go. But Mom and Dad and Max and Kiwi and Sarah and I will make new memories and hold tight to the old ones that stick. And then there's next Christmas when Mom says for sure the three flood angels will shimmer and glimmer and shine again on our Christmas tree, wherever in the world we are. And this concludes the book, River Friendly, River Wild.